Blame it on the rain who's falling, falling. Blame it on the stars. Didn't shine at night. Welcome to the Dave Squared Podcast. I'm David Kramer coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. And we finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world, or at least our opinions. Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, easy for me to say, and over 60 years of work experience. <laughs> and we're making this podcast together to try to help each other, and hopefully you, the listener, save some money. So Mr. Kramer, what is today's topic? We are going to talk about retirement savings. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but I think we want to put some numbers to it today, if you don't mind. Um, I'm going to try. <laughs> They're going to put me on the spot and make me look stupid. Let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. we, can, we can always edit it later. So this was my thought. Um, at my work, so my philosophy on my 401k is I've been contributing the max I can and put it into fairly aggressive funds and then not look at it for many years. And then, I think that's great advice. And then you're happily surprised that the number got bigger and it, we're not professionals in this and you can drive yourself nuts moving things back and forth and half the time you're gonna be wrong, let's face it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, benign neglect, let's call it that. But uh, my company, for some reason, I think the firm that was handling the 401k got acquired. So they're moving everything and there's a dark period. So I thought it would be irresponsible not to review it at this point. And I looked at it, it looked like a big number. And then I started doing some math in my head and thinking, I'm patting myself on the back too much. This isn't nearly enough money to uh, maintain the, my, my uh, luxurious lifestyle. I got gotcha. you. Well, I I just want to say two things for our younger listeners out there, and I my kids will hear me to say this, but I think the key thing for people is to start contributing to your 401k or IRA as soon as you start working. And I would really encourage people to try to save 15% of their income. And especially, um, I have been fortunate, I think you have too, to have a company that also makes donations to your 401k plan. Yes. Don't give up that free money. So it's amazing what compounding does. And I would argue that if you're saving 15% of your income from the time you start work, perhaps in your early 20s to mid 20s, that you're going to be able to retire with a lifestyle that you're accustomed to. That's been my experience. But to your point, I mean, you look at, I've been thinking about retirement a lot lately and running some numbers. And depending on your situation, you know, your 401k may not be your only source of retirement income. Um, you also have to consider what you potentially might get from Social Security as well. That's true. So that crossed my mind and I was trying to do some research on what my social security benefits might be, but you probably know that off the top of your head. I, I do. I, I have a reasonable idea. So it's important to take a look at that. And also uh, you can go to ssa.gov, uh, sorry, socialsecurityadministration.gov, and you can get an estimate uh, of what you're going to get. And you should do that every year. Uh, I do it every year as part of the yearly kind of tune-up we talked about maybe perhaps a few weeks ago, right. just to see, to make sure they've got the correct, what you should check is to make sure that your, in, your in, income, your gross income is is with the Social Security Administration and generally is because if you filed your taxes, it's generally there. 
And then they'll give you an estimate based on your retirement date. For you and I, uh, born in the uh, early 60s, our retirement age is 67, and it'll tell you what you'd receive at age 67. Yes, and I was trying to do that before we logged on this morning, and I, I got stuck proving my identity because I, I don't have my wallet in my pocket. <laughs> Uh, but I'll go back and check that later. So here, here's I thought we should approach it is let's assume that uh, we want $100,000 a year of income uh, mm -hmm. to maintain us in retirement, which right. allows us to do the math in our heads. So if you did that quickly, I think people frequently talk about a 4% rule, Dave, right? There's a, a rule, as I understand, it's been around a long time that financial pl planners would use that you could consider using 4% of your um, uh, assets to live off of every year. That would be a, uh, that would be a um, conservative way of doing it. Um, certainly, the U.S. stock market has returned like maybe 7 or 8% over long periods of time. So when you're retired, you may not have as much money in stocks as you did before you retired. It's probably prudent not to. Um, but you might have an asset mix that maybe was 50, 50 and maybe making somewhere around 6% or something like that. Yeah. And so if you took 4% out, you'd have two, you have 2% upside every year with, with a principle that's not, um, say going down. Right. So 4% goes into 125. So yeah. to get a 4% return, you need 25 X your yep. income amount. So yep. 25 times a hundred thousand is $2.5 million. Yep. Which sounds that's like a lot, lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Now, having said that, I mean, that's a, to, to make the math start, you know, simple, you can use that math. That's a, that's a lot of money for most people. Um, so your actual needs might be less than that, but to stay with it, that's a lot of money, right? That's a heck of a lot of money. On the flip side, if you're used to spending that, that kind of money, you and your spouse or something other probably have a pretty good income together. So you're probably going to get higher than average social security benefits though. So like I would argue you stipulate that someone who's probably, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but my guess is that if you are have a hundred thousand dollar budget um, or looking for that kind of money, you're probably going to get at least a couple grand a month, maybe from social security or more. So it'd be fair to guess that you're going to get $25,000 a year from social security round numbers. Or more, or or could be more. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I was looking at the maximum. Looks like the maximum is just over three thousand now. Um, yeah. So even let's say you could buy thirty thousand from that. Yeah. Right? So now you need to get seventy thousand dollars a year out of your savings. So it would be seventy thousand times twenty five, which would be one point seven five million dollars. One still a, still 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 a lot of money. Now probably. So, so the, the other thing about retirement is um, it's some of the companies I work for, I actually get a pension that's not as prevalent today. Actually, I should say it's probably not hardly prevalent at all. It's probably, I'm guessing less than 25%, but it used to be more prevalent. So some people might get some sort of pension, probably more prevalent for people who are say uh, government employees, federal employees, but going forward, not a lot of companies have pensions, but that's another thing that people should think about as well. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are fortunate enough to have pensions. A couple of people like you work for really old school companies, but I think people younger than you uh, weren't necessarily eligible for those, were they? Or 
it it's a, it's a it's, it's on the company. My pension of my the pension at my previous company has changed. They're still they can still get a pension, but the pension is different now. Where it's it's the pension's been restructured differently, so it's, it's just different. Okay. Well, a lot of the people I encounter in my goings on either work for the state or the county. So most of those folks have an old school and I work in a construction company. So a big chunk of our employees are in trade unions and they have. old. Yeah. School. Good. Yeah. So those people are probably different than most Americans today because things have changed really dramatically over the last 30 years. But, um, you know, in my previous company, I have a pension. It's an annuity pension. Um, most pensions today are cash and carry. I, I worked for different, I have pensions from two separate companies and one is cash and carry. I'll probably cash and carry it, but I can do it as an annuity uh, or a, a fixed payment every year, every month in that case versus like a cash and carry. Um, uh, my last employer uh, offers either one, but they offer a cash and carry. And the, the pension is not as lucrative as it used to be. So um, I know a number of people who worked in the for the governments and the, the old, for people our age, the thing about working for the government was it didn't pay as well, but you had really great benefits. And I think that's true today. It's not probably as true, um, but they get really great benefits and pension benefits is one of them. They get really generally really good pensions. And apparently now government folk make more than average private folk. So I think, I, I think that, tends to be true today. 30 years ago, that wasn't true. You made more money in private industry and the same job was my calculation. But anyways, back to back to our topic of how much you need. So if you're thinking about it, you got to look at what's my social security and you have, you have choices to say, do I take it at minimum age, which would be 62 for you and I, you can take it at 62. You can take it at any time between there. Um, and it gets, keeps on getting bigger year after year until age 70, then the benefits don't get any bigger. All right. Uh, the tricky part about, well, one of the tricky parts about doing this calculation is you have to think about before tax versus after tax, right? So if you're making $100,000 a year as your gross salary right now, and you are contributing $5,000 of that into your retirement account, that's, you're already down 95000 and you're paying, you're paying your bills with the post-tax stuff, right? So... I don't know what my point is. So when you take it out of a 401k, you have to pay taxes on it, right? So I guess yeah. it's a wash. You should compare your before tax salary with what your uh, uh, your withdrawals from your retirement accounts are going to have to be, right? If it's a standard 401k or IRA. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to think about the taxes because that money that's coming out of your 401k, unless you have a Roth IRA, um, which you've already paid the taxes ahead of time, but I, I don't have that situation. But I have, I, th I have to think about, you know, for every dollar that I take out of my 401k, how much is that worth to me after taxes? So you have to do some sort of calculation in terms of what you, what you think your tax rate is going to be. But if you're got a hundred thousand dollars a year of income as a retiree, you are paying taxes on your social security benefits, right? It depends on the state. Most social security, a great majority of social security benefits aren't taxed, but it depends on this, on the state. Um, but a lot of the social security benefits, uh, I, as I understand it can avoid tax, but you get taxed on your pension. You get taxed on your 401k withdrawals as regular income. Is a social security income, uh, taxed as, um, at the federal level? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the details on that. Hmm. All right. Well, it sounds like in general, it, 
it's a wash. Of course, you don't have to pay. Like I said, you're not making your retirement contributions, and you're also not making your FICA contributions, which were a big chunk of your uh, of what what comes out of your salary it doesn't get to your pocket. Yeah, so you don't have to save any money, and you know if you're saving fifteen percent of your salary or something along those lines, you're not having to save that money anymore because you're taking the benefits of it. So I would. What I would suggest people do is I really like um, some of the planning apps out there, personal cap, you can plug in there. You can plug in what your spend is right. and then you can tell it to assume a certain tax rate. You can find your tax rate by looking at um, when you finish your taxes by by looking at what your overall blended tax rate is because the tax rate is progressive. And um, you know the first bit of taxes you pay is 10%, then it goes to the, there's a if I'm remembering this correctly, 12% bracket, et cetera. And you can kind of get a sense of what your average taxes are, both for federal and a few of the state taxes to look at state as well. Hmm. But not to simplify would be an exaggeration because none of this is simple. But if you were to say my current income and I want to maintain something like this income, I could fairly say... Uh, I make $100,000 a year. Uh, of that, I contribute 10% to savings, which I won't do anymore once I'm retired. Seven and a quarter percent of it is going to Medicare and uh, Social Security tax, which wouldn't come out of investment income. All right, so I could reduce by that. And I could reduce it by what my anticipated Social Security benefit would be. So I could say 100000 Take ten thousand out for savings, so it's ninety thousand. Take seven thousand out for that FICA contribution, so that's eighty-three thousand. And then assume I'm getting uh, thirty thousand dollars a year from uh, Social Security, so now I'm down to fifty-three thousand. So now my savings has to be fifty-three thousand times twenty-five, which is two million. A million dollars. I'm sorry. Uh, you said fifty-three thousand. Yeah, sorry, I should have a calculator out. One point three million dollars. One point three million. So still a lot of money, but not as intimidating as two and a half million dollars. Right. All right. Um, did you? Did I make a mistake there? I don't think so. I think that's because there's a lot of. I mean, we've there's only got one significant figure with that four percent number, right? So yeah, I think this is accurate enough for what you should be doing, which is trying to figure out a goal for how much lump sum you should have savings when you say, that's it. I don't have to work anymore. Right. Um, and I really like some of the tools. We've talked about some of these tools. I really love the personal capital tool. I'm not out making any money from personal capital, but it's a free tool and you can plug in what you, what you probably should need to know. What people should need to know is how much money they spend on things. You can plug that in. You can then tell it to assume a tax rate. I think it helps you guide you towards a tax, a blended tax rate. And it will do a Monte Carlo analysis to say, here's whether you have enough money and it will do like a median case. Yes. And, you, and it'll do a, a wor worst case. And then it'll tell you if, what percentage of the time do you run out of money between now and when you estimate your life to end, if you will. So for example, I'll say just for, being conservative, I'd run mine out to age 100. Right. And it'll tell me like right now, um, you know, you have a 98% chance of all these things hold true of making it to the end and not running out of money. I think that's an excellent idea. And I would also suggest though, it's dangerous to say, this is how much money I spend and then try and figure out how much you have to save because 
not everybody's as organized as you are, Dave. And right. people kid themselves and they forget, oh, I'm not writing that down because that's a one-time thing, which I just happen to do twice a week. So my what I'm contending is that if you are doing right, well now with your income, you should back into it that way and say, how much do I have to save to maintain my current income? Lifestyle. Lifestyle yeah, based yeah. on my current income because I'm not... Unless you're going backwards, which is, I, I don't know about you, Dave, but I've had times in my life where I my savings rate was negative. Yeah. I mean, certainly um, when my when both my kids were in college, uh, cash flow was negative for a couple of years there, right? And now it's positive, which is a good thing. Um, but you're right. You could you could look at what you make but make and make sure you back those things out. You don't have to, once you're retired, you don't have to save anymore. So for those of for those of us that are trying to save a big percentage of our income, it's a big chunk. Doesn't have that. You don't need that. Back that out. Back out your FICA taxes, right? And you asked me about Social Security, and I couldn't I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but Social Security gets taxed um, between when you twenty five and thirty four thousand. You may have to pay up. You may have to pay tax on fifty percent of your benefits if if you make more than thirty four k. And that really corresponds to people who are making the max out there, right. you may you may have 85% of your benefits taxable. So it's, okay. it hits the higher end income earners. So it's something to think about. So if you're, in our theoretical case of $100,000 a year, you would essentially be a high, be You'd be a higher earner. Yeah. yeah. You'd be paying taxes on that. But you, you got exactly right. Just back into it and you get some freebies because you don't have to pay social security tax. You may spend less for met. You may spend less for medical support, at least in the early years of retirement, because you're not paying taxes. Depends on how good your plan is at work. That that That's true. That's an excellent point. The other thing is you should include this is if you can get your mortgage paid off. Um, but most people don't do that anymore. So uh, you have to think way ahead. You got to think either 15 or 30 years ahead to get that done on time. Yeah, I, it, it, you're, you're right. So you're a lot of planners will say that expenses in retirement are less than when you're working. I'm not sure I agree with that because I think when you first retire and you feel like you're young enough to travel, you may spend more money on travel, my guess, or do some fun things like that. But yep. I think as you get older, you know, my mom is 93, your parents are older. They probably don't do as much, don't travel as much. And th their expenses, I help my mom with their finances, expenses goes down. So it's a little tricky estimating that because um, I know when I, my, my in-laws are still alive, they did a little bit of traveling and they had been pr pretty frugal people their whole life, but they did some trips because they were healthy at that point and could get around and go do that. Yeah. And I, I got to say that 4% rule is pretty conservative because if you and I retired a year ago at 55, you could just divide it into 25 parts and you'd make it to 80, right? You could just put a bag of cash in there and go take 4% and then you'd be fine. So, but like you say, sometimes investments go down. Yeah. I mean, it seems like everything goes up right now. <laughs> it seems like at least my investments seem like they go up and I think I'm a, I think I'm a genius, but it's just the market's going up. Uh, uh, any, everything's going up, but there are um, years where your stock investments go down and maybe go down by 25%. Yes, and if you do what you're supposed to do, which is get out of equities and into things like bonds, uh, having 0% uh, interest rates is a drag. It, it, it is. So, you know, if, uh, if 
if um, if people had a higher bond allocation when they retired for safety, because it generally doesn't go down as much as say stocks do, and you're not going to make eight percent a year, you're going to make something lower, like six percent a year, five percent a year, depending on your allocation. So four percent is taking a much higher percentage of your um, gains every year than if you're total stock portfolio. If you had a total stock portfolio, there's going to be years where that thing may drop by thirty percent in one year. Ouch. Yeah, and the. The good sides of low interest rates, which is shouldn't pay as much interest when you borrow to buy a house or buy a car. Problem is, I think the market corrects for that almost immediately, and that people buy a house that is a thousand dollar a month payment, not a hundred thousand dollars. And so, if it's the same house, if interest rates go down, the price goes up, the demand goes up because people are suckers. But I, uh, the other thing I'd also think for retirement is um, having thinking, having having thinking about it right now as a potential is if you and your significant other have a car, both, I don't see the point in having two cars. Now I'm probably not going to get rid of my second car, but literally I've driven that car 500 miles in the last year since of COVID. And it's just, it's just a depreciating asset at this point. Now at this point it's six years old and it's not that expensive to own or maintain, but in retirement, you and your, you and your significant other may only need one vehicle. I know I could do it. And between your house and your car, those are the, generally the two most expensive things, except maybe paying for your kid's education. Yes. And like we live in a very high uh, expensive real estate area. We could have an option of moving to a less expensive one. Right. That's there's prices of that. People tend to prefer to retire not far from where they live, but yeah, because all your friends are there. But I mean, for for you, for you guys, you'd cut your expenses by moving to a smaller place if you know, at some point, right? I mean, we could do the same thing here. Prices in Arizona are not super cheap like they are in Kansas, but we, you know, do we need the same size house as when our kids were here, right? Yes. Then on the other hand, on the, on the fourth hand, um, <laughs> my my parents moved from a big place to a very nice smaller apartment, but it's in a place with uh, uh, services, so it's mm-hmm. extraordinarily expensive, right? Their yep. monthly costs is is high. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, and I do see people move into places like that. But if you think about it, you know, it's, it's their house and some places meals are included in those mm-hmm. kinds of places as well. So it is pretty expensive, but if it's kind of all in, in some ways it's um, not as bad because you don't have to mess with the house. You don't have to mess with the food and groceries and stuff like that. Right. All right, but uh, this kind of ties in with what our last episode was, the annual tune-up. And I think what we're suggesting is do this math once in a while, set a target, and then just stop kind of paying attention to it. Yeah. And I would say for most people, if you want to get an advisor, do, do, here's three ideas. One is pay somebody a four-fee advisor. Um, uh, an old acquaintance of mine at my old company does this kind of for fee advising uh, to put a plan together for you for maybe a few hundred dollars and maybe they teach you a few hundred dollars a year to take a look at your plan and do some scenario planning for you. I think that might be a good investment for some people. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you do it yourself, I like to do it myself. I, lo- I really love this personal capital app, but you can use um, Quicken does a similar thing, although I don't think it does as well because I really like the Monte Carlo analysis. Um, you can, I'll if, bet if, at most, if you work for a decent sized company, they will offer that, that they have some uh, provider of services for retirement who is more than happy 
to talk you through it. And they already know how much money you make, so you don't have to worry about privacy. Yeah, so I think it's a good thing to do. And I think I used to look at this yearly. I probably look at more now because the tools are better now and got some more time on my hands. But to do it once a year to say, okay, here's how much money I've saved. Here's my here's my projection for pension. I'm fortunate enough to have a pension. Here's the projection for my 401k. If I keep on saving the same amount, I'll project it to the future. And you know, here's what Social Security says I have. That kind of you can use that in today's tools, which are many times free and much more awesome than they were 30 years ago and get a rough idea. Right. And then, and then to your point, make sure you know how to back into it from your salary or look at your actual expenses, which most people don't want to do. Cause I realize it's boring as, as, as heck as all get out, but um, you can do it either way to get some, some good idea about where you're headed. All right. And keeping in mind that we are not qualified to give advice, but if we backed into what, the calculations we just did, it was something like 13 times the income you wanted to for, I'll call it a middle-class income. So that's to me is less intimidating than 25 times because saving two and a half million dollars when you make a hundred thousand dollars a year would be a good trick because that doesn't cover college savings or down payments on your house or having mm-hmm. babies or, you know, that's big expenses in life on top of that. So, yeah. No, I think that's good. And I think the key thing for, especially for younger folks and the things I tell my kids is start early, make it a habit. And just like you say, don't look at, don't look at your 401k statements for most people. Just don't look at them, contribute the max and invest it in the stock market. Especially if you're young, go towards hundred percent stocks, at least 80% stocks when you're young and don't look at it. So this is the opposite of what we're talking about, but I pitched an idea to the chairman of my company this week because one of my coworkers is having a baby. I wanted to get her a gift, but people don't need gifts. And so Mm -hmm. I did a little research and you can set up a 529 college savings account for anybody. You could do it for your niece. I could do it for your kids. Um, And I was thinking about doing that for this person, throw a hundred bucks in it and say, but here's the account. Mm -hmm. It's already set up. You can contribute money. But I went and pitched my boss that we do that for our employees when they have a kid and set it up for them and set it up so they can do uh, salary deductions. Hmm. And, you know, you you have two kids. When that happens, your whole life is a mess. You got a lot of things to worry about. So if somebody did that paperwork for you and handed it to you, I mean, the hundred bucks would be a thousand bucks by the time the kids went to college. It's a great gift, much better than one of those cute little t-shirts with the company logo on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Though you do need a lot of those too. Um, I was pretty proud of myself for thinking of that. That seems like a cool gift. I think that's a, I think people would think that maybe not right away. Some people might see it very, very thoughtful, but certainly when their kids got older and you use that on like bona fide educational expenses like college, they would be thanking you at that time. That's a, that's an interesting gift. Yeah. I think it's like an opt in, uh, you having to opt out of your retirement savings at work is that people, it just makes it easier to save and making, taking the friction out of things in the long run makes it better. And here I'm suggesting that the company or, or your friends at the company, right? Instead of chipping and buy you a baby gift, you give them that. Buy a 529. That's a cool idea. That is an interesting idea. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, that was an interesting conversation for me. Timely for me. I guess it's always timely because you always have to save. But um, uh, and I will sit down and add things up because things are scattered a little bit. But um, very helpful. Um, good to talk to you as usual. 
I appreciate right. your insight. Until next time, talk to you.